0: I wanted to say just some more things about equanimity and its relationship to loving kindness and um, compassion and uh, empathic joy. You know, one of the ways that most works for me is to think about having an available heart. I just was thinking about that this week. I don't think I've used that very much before. That um, when I am preoccupied with my own worries and my own concerns and my own pains, my own thoughts and my own ruminations, it's like um, it's like I'm not there Uh once upon a time, I had a, a poster up in one of my rooms that someone had sent me that said, "What if God came to visit and you weren't home?" You know that uh, <laughs> if anything significant is going to happen, then you need to be at home to know that to meet it. And I think that whenever I'm preoccupied, I'm not at her, I'm not really awake to meet what's coming. Do you know the? Remember the old Peanuts cartoons with Lucy as a psychiatric practice consultation five cents for a consultation and she'd have a little sign that says the doctor is in or the doctor is out thinking about what needs to happen for us to stay here and be available the phone rings here and says I'm in pain I need help can we answer the phone and say oh wow whatever you need to say. Sometimes people say, well, about those forms that we say, I feel your pain, may you have pain soon pass. Is there a form of the certain words that you have to say? I always think about what would I say to a real person in a real situation? I probably wouldn't say, I feel your pain. I'd say, oh, dear, I'm so sad. Just like Dr. Vergese said, and I'd do that to the person, I would do it in my mind. And if I thought about this or that in my life, that I had an email today that somebody's in the final stages of their life, and say, oh, I wish that, I wish that this goes easily for them. And then I write an email that says, I'm really paying attention to what you said, and I'm hoping that this goes easily, and I'm thinking about not anything funny to say, peculiar or stilted, just what do we feel? I always used to think that um, uh, empathic joy would be so easy because unlike compassion, it's not something terrible that's happening. It's usually something great that's happening to somebody. Which is really a, a, a sometimes very problematic, as we've mentioned, because if that' great, what's happening to somebody else? Is what we would really like to have happen to us. We don't feel that great about it. We feel, well, that's good for you, but now I really feel my own longing. It makes me unhappy. I wish I didn't know that about you. (laughs) But isn't that true? uh, I've sometimes heard somebody teach it and say, I wish you really didn't have so much joy because it's upsetting to me. I actually... (laughs) i don't actually I don't actually discover it to I don't actually feel that they shouldn't have so much joy. I just feel that I should have a little bit of it also in that <laughs> in that particular category, and it's embarrassing. You don't tell anybody else anyway, you fake it, you know, but you you talk to you, you know you say, "Wonderful, I'm so excited for you, and over here it really hurts you. I see a lot of people saying, "You know it's a custom. Um the, at least in all my growing up, which was mostly in the uh, newly immigrated Jewish community in Brooklyn and in New York, where uh, when you went to a wedding and uh, people people had big weddings and they invited all big families, and uh, it was paramount in people's minds. Uh, if uh, people didn't worry so much about in those days, because, of course, nobody thought about marriage equality, but they didn't think about their unmarried sons, but they thought about their unmarried daughters. The important thing was that your unmarried daughter should find a suitable person with whom to make a family. That was tremendously important in that particular community. And so some somebody else's unmarried daughter, your cousin with an unmarried daughter, is now getting married and you go to the wedding and two of your daughters are still of an age and unmarried. And there was a kind of a rubric. When people went through the the uh, receiving line after the ceremony, the mother with the still unmarried daughters would say to the mother of the bride, congratulations, wonderful, you should only know more joy. Um, and then the, the mother of the bride says back, and you should also soon know this same joy. That's you know, it's, it's actually uh, it should come to you also the same joy. It was almost like you learned, like when someone says thank you, you say you're welcome. Someone says when you say that, you say and may you also have that same joy. It's if that person intuits or they know from their own experience that that other person's a little bit in pain, and then the person to whom you said and may you also have that pain that joy soon. <laughs> And may you soon also have that joy, says to you back, from your mouth to God's ears. That was a little thing that people said. I bet they did it apart from the Jewish community as well. I, I think it was a commonly known, and nobody says, I know you must be feeling badly because now I have this and you don't have it. But it's a way of saying that and acknowledging it. And I, I, I really feel it's important to bring that up because sometimes people feel bad about themselves, you know, I'm not rejoicing so much. My friend just fell in love, the person loves them back, they got a raise, they got a six-figure contract on their book, and uh, their health is fantastic. Meantime, I have this, that, and that, and not all of that. And it's very hard to say, to recognize in oneself, I have a lot of yearning, I'd like to have that also. And yearning hurts. And the important thing, for our hearts to be available to genuinely congratulate other people and genuinely console them without uh, being unstabilized yourself. So there has to be a certain equanimity of spirit. There has to be enough in the mind to be able to say when other people are having uh, desirable events happen that it's the karma of the. Uh, that's what's happening now. It's their turn It's not my turn now. Instead of somebody saying to me from your mouth to God's ears, I am saying to me, it's not my turn now. May it be my turn soon. That's the equivalent of that. When I say to myself, if I need to say to myself, it's not my turn now, may it be my turn soon, then I discover that having acknowledged that, that my mind is is back to its equanimity because it's told the truth. It it returns to its equanimity. And then it's really available to say, great for you. And I'm sorry about what's happening. We can be really uh, consoling. We can be rejoicing. When it isn't a dramatic situation of joy or consolation, we look at people that we know and we say, oh, I hope you're well. We look at people that we don't know and we hope they're well. I have a practice that when I'm uh, in some place with a lot of people, like airplanes, or uh, (laughs) also uh, like walking in the street, or sitting on a Muni bus, or arriving in a restaurant, and my friend has not come, and so I'm waiting a little bit, and you look, and these days people sit down in a restaurant, their partner isn't there, their person that they're waiting for isn't there, and... They whip out the cell phone, and they are it over here. And I think, wow. I try not to. I think, oh, I could do that too. You know, it's a little exciting. <laughs> but it's actually very exciting to look around. You look around at a Starbucks full of people, or a bus full of people, or a plane full of people, and you say, I have no idea. Somebody just probably got a bad diagnosis recently, or their mother did, or their father did or they, discovered, they just discovered uh, that they're pregnant and now they're on their way home to tell their partner about it, or they just discovered that uh, uh, their child has gotten accepted in such and such a college, or that they haven't, or that they're about to lose their job, or that they just got a new one. You don't know what's going on in that bus or that airport boarding lounge. But if I spend my time looking around and thinking, "May you all be peaceful and happy, and may good things be happening and not suffer. May we all be peaceful and happy," it's actually quite pleasant and actually a little exciting because I don't have to. Since I don't know what's personally happening with them, it's not very taxing on the emotional system. All I can know is that something is happening to everybody. That's really the foundation of metta. Something is happening to everybody. On Wednesday mornings in Spirit Rock we usually we have a two-hour class and we sit for about 30 minutes, 35 minutes. So people come in, I wait till they're there and I greet people and then I give some instructions and we sit for 30 or 35 minutes. And then I say, I'm going to ring the bell in a few minutes and if there's someone on your mind that has come up as you were sitting. Because as, as I sit, as my own heart and mind compose themselves and relax, there's room for my heart and mind to be available. It's as if it puts up the sign. The doctor is in. And then you think of so-and-so, and your friend so-and-so, and your niece and your next-door neighbor that are in some special circumstance. And I usually say something about I'm thinking of my uh, friend Verna, who's 98, and uh, in the final stages of her life, and I'm hoping that these days go smoothly for her. And then I, I say, please, if you want to. And I don't call on people, and I don't look at people, actually I don't look at people, I look down, and all around me voices come out, just one after another. and. People will use that particular rubric. I'm thinking about my friend, my sister, my mother, my father, my daughter, my next door neighbor, my something, with a name, John, Paul, Mary, Roberta, anything, who is, has just been diagnosed with lymphoma, has uh, just passed the 32 weeks in her pregnancy so everything is great, has just, lost their job, has just uh, broken their sobriety. I'm thinking about my nephew, Paul, who is just has really troubled now because he's just gotten accepted into Harvard and Yale and Stanford, and he's <laughs> troubled because he doesn't know which one to choose. And the truth is that people say many more painful things than that kind of thing. And when suddenly someone says, I'm thinking of that, or I'm thinking of my... Uh, my granddaughter who was pregnant with twins and she'd been trying and trying. You feel in the whole room that there's a kind of a, ha ah, in the middle of all the woes of the world, there are the really, the wonderful things in the world. And the thing that I really am touched by every week, practically every week, when I ring the bell, I say, may all of these people that we've mentioned, may they all be peaceful and happy and happy. May we we'll all be caretakers for each other, and then I ring the bell, and I am nearly always run out of things to say. That listening to the display of the really the afflictions, primarily that of body and spirit, that flesh is air is flesh is heir to all the things that can happen to people people will describe a circumstance that somebody's in that you couldn't imagine that that could have happened to somebody. And a lot of circumstances that you can't imagine because you heard of this illness or that illness. And you can imagine the happinesses too because you've either wanted them or had them. And each time someone says something, even and especially if you don't know who they are, you feel in your own body that the heart leaps up. Because you feel it in your body. I find that that's so consoling to know that we actually are strung for compassion. We're built that way. We don't have to know the person to be touched by what they say. I I take a lot of courage for that, about somebody's going to figure out how to keep this world going because we care too much about each other. And some very charismatic, brilliant people soon, I hope, I couldn't figure out how to say to everybody, stop. We're all killing each other. Let's not do it this way. Let's do it another way. Somebody said yesterday or the day before about, it would be great. I don't know if we said it in here or whether my colleagues and I said it. They said that the, the negotiators uh, of different countries negotiating should, when they come together, have a seven-day meta retreat before they sit down together to negotiate. Was it in here or somewhere else that someone said that? But I think to myself, if we could all sit down, the whole world at the same time, or for a little while, not even maybe a week, just a little while, what would happen is everybody would relax because one would have to be on guard. And when they relaxed, they'd look around and see how terribly we're treating each other. And out of natural compassion and natural delight for the world that could be, they would take care of each other. So I like a lot on these, uh, whenever I can, to read a poem by Pablo Neruda that is about that. And I asked Kate to read it in, in Spanish because that's one of her two languages. You want me to read first and then you read and then I'll read again? Which way do you want? I don't know. I'll read it first so that when people hear the Spanish, which is beautiful, they'll know what it is that they're hearing. Now we will all count to twelve and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and men and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence Might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Now I'll count up to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go.
1: A callarse. Ahora contaremos doce. Y nos quedamos todos quietos. Por una vez sobre la tierra. No hablemos en en ningún idioma. Por un segundo. Detengámonos. No movamos tanto los brazos. Sería un minuto fragante. Sin prisa, sin locomotoras. Todos estaríamos juntos en una una inquietud instantánea. Los pescadores del mar frío no harían daño a las ballenas. Y el trabajador de la sal miraría sus manos rotas. Los que preparan guerras verdes, guerras de gas, guerras de fuego... Victoria sin sobrevivientes se pondrían un trajo puro y andarían con sus hermanos por la sombra sin hacer nada. No se confunda lo que quiero con con la inacción definitiva. La La vida es solo lo que hace. No quiero nada con la muerte. Si no pudimos ser unánimes, moviendo tanto nuestras vidas, tal vez no hacer nada una vez. Tal vez un gran silencio pueda interrumpir esta tristeza. Este no entendernos jamás y amanecernos con la muerte. Tal vez la tierra nos enseñe cuando todo parece muerto Y luego, todo estaba vivo. Ahora, contaré hasta doce, y tú te callas, y me voy. A huge
0: sign. a huge silence would interrupt and in it we'd really see what's going on and we'd be different. I think that's what all of us did this week. Are still doing this week. Making a big silence in our life and then our whole life is displaying itself. And I think the big practice is the practice of equanimity that we're doing in one way or another. The practice of equanimity that keeps the mind from leaping up in fear and in need. Just by going slowly and being quiet and catching our minds as they leap up in this way and that way. And say, no, let's just wish ourselves well. Let's wish each other well. We'll sit in a minute, and I hope what you'll think about is really quite straightforward practice of equanimity, keeping the mind not unaware of the 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes, but aware of them in a context of um, relaxed wisdom, actually empathic wisdom, warm wisdom. Somebody was saying last night that uh, it's all about forgiving life. Was it maybe John said, "Give up every hope for a better, ch- for a good childhood or a better childhood, because it's past." Uh, every time that we say, "This is the way things are," and however it was, that's just what it was. It couldn't have been different. That 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 particular phrase that John talked about last night, it couldn't have been different. And people think, "Well, it could have if people would have tried. If people could try, it, they would." Nobody purposely wants to suffer. It's such an, a such a, a um, freeing kind of understanding. We none of us doing this. We none of us suffer purposely. If we do, it's misguidedly because we haven't figured things out. So if we sit quietly, we'll figure things out. I think about as I sit here. As I sit here in the day, a lot of the times I'm just sitting here and I feel relaxed and my mind's at ease. I'm not saying phrases every single second. I do when I'm really wanting to build up more concentration in my mind. But think about it, because people sometimes think that the practice of metta is the practice of saying phrases. It's a practice of remembering to keep your heart available and doing whatever you need to unfrighten your mind so it can relax and your heart can be available. One of the things that you can sometimes do is say phrases, but it's not the phrase saying, it's the keeping the heart available. Is that? I feel like I say that over and over and over again, but it's really important because I don't, I, I hope that nobody thinks of themselves as a, I'm a good practitioner of metta. I said a million phrases today. <laughs> it's not that. I'm a good practitioner of metta. I am every minute noticing whether I'm thinking ah or ah and just trying to calm it down a little bit so I can choose wisely. That's all. So I sit. Most of the time when I'm sitting here I think of this and I think of that and I take some breaths and I feel the breaths and I say some blessings and then I think something and I get startled by the thought maybe and then I think It'll be okay. That's okay. Relax. Sweetheart, you'll be okay. That's actually my favorite thing to say. I need that. I forgot to call. What'll happen if I don't call right now? Maybe I should run out of the room and call right now. (laughs) Sweetheart, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You could say that to yourself all day long. Calm down your mind, and then your heart will be available, and then you'll be happy. So we'll sit and really think about just sitting. Uh, take the, the beginning instructions. The beginning instructions of any sit is we've said make yourself comfortable. Sit your body with dignity so that your breath goes easily in and out. Sit your body with dignity. Let your shoulders relax. Let your eyes relax. Feel your breath come in and out of your body. And let your mind and heart assume their natural peace and ease of ease and contentment, not needing anything else in this moment, being awake and alert and at ease. And see what happens. Don't do anything. Thoughts will arise and pass. Feelings will arise and pass. Notice when your mind and heart leap up towards or away from something and balance your heart and then sit again. You can say to yourself, this is fine, you'll be all right. Let it go. And if you want to, from time to time, you can say to yourself, may all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. I like to say that. kind of covers everything, including me. You might want to say the words peaceful and alert to yourself from time to time. It's a way of uh, keeping the mind uh, bright and awake, even that it's peaceful. It's not busy and sometimes it gets sleepy. So say to yourself, peaceful and alert, and then it'll be peaceful and alert. I was just thinking about saying, um, anybody have a question about those instructions? I was thinking it was almost a non-instruction because we've had all these instructions about do this and do that and really try to build up the concentration with this and that. And I really wanted once to say that really to have in mind that the instructions are to bring you to a place, which for many of you has, where you feel really a little bit more settled down, a little bit more clear. And then we can just be our regular selves because as we begin to move towards leaving, the all-day practice is um, being attentive all the time to the presence or absence of goodwill in the mind. You know, there's... um, there's a thing where there's a, a, a statement that uh, someone had uh, the, the Buddha when he was teaching breath meditation, uh, said that uh, you ought to be able to know uh, be with every single breath, the arising and passing away, from the moment that you wake up in the morning until the moment that you fall asleep at night. And people often say, "Whoa, you know who could, who could do that?" And I think it's a metaphor. I think it means pay attention all day long with alertness. This might be the moment. You're paying attention to staying bright and alert. Uh, Really, to staying bright and alert and warm-hearted, which is what mindfulness is about. And I think that um, the instructions in metta practice to say the phrases over and over and over again are uh, similar to the instructions in *The Way of the Pilgrim*, where, the, where, in 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 that classic, the monk is given the instruction: "Pray without ceasing." And that, really, what I mean, what it means, I think, it's also a metaphor. Not saying the prayer, but making your life a prayer in the sense of dedication to looking out for peace and ease in one's own life as well as the lives of others. It's really not about forgetting about yourself. Really it's about remembering that there's only us, all of us, everybody else, and me. Remember when I said the first day that His Holiness the Dalai Lama said if I thought that there was one Dalai Lama and everybody else, I'd be really lonesome. That uh, there's everybody. And sometimes here is talking, sometimes other people are talking. So there's the whole world. It's never for other people and not for us. It's always for us, actually. Even when you think about, well now I'll send to this one and that one and the other one. It's not like email. It's always blind copied to yourself. <laughs> you, know, that you can't do it without being in a good space. Really, even if you think, well, I'm sending to everybody, but not from me. If you are, then it's for you also. Because in order to feel goodwill to send, to think to send, it's happening in you. This is the only heart that you can actually change. I think. I don't know what magically happens from thinking good thoughts. It's wonderful to think that it magically changes other minds and hearts. Maybe it does, I hope. But this I'm sure of. So it's time to have walking. Have a good walk.